Um, so AI refers to the development of computer systems that can perform tasks that would typically require natural intelligence. Things like learning, problem solving, perception, reasoning, and decision making. I didn't say human intelligence, natural intelligence, right? I look into swarms in nature, like how ants, for example, find the fastest and shortest path to a food source. So it's not just humans, it can be any natural intelligence. This and more in this special episode of the ICEF podcast, which is dedicated to exploring AI and its impact on international student recruitment. This podcast is sponsored by Torrens University Australia. As Australia's fastest growing university, Torrens University brings a careers focused and global perspective to Australian higher education. With around 22,000 students from over 115 countries, we deliver a wide range of high quality undergraduate, graduate, higher degree by research and specialised degree programmes in a wide range of academic disciplines both online and on campus. We have campuses in Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Brisbane, Blue Mountains, Gold Coast, Auckland and China. As an award-winning university, we currently have a 90% postgraduate full-time employment rate and we're ranked number two in overall employment for international graduates. Our students are well equipped to work anywhere in the world after they graduate. With over 3,600 industry connections and industry placements with some of the most influential brands in the world, students can feel confident that they'll reach their career goals with Torrens University. Artificial intelligence has been dominating the headlines and advanced AI-based solutions are available across all areas of our personal and professional lives, including the international education sector. AI-powered tools and technologies are making the recruitment processes faster, more secure and more efficient. But how does AI really impact the student journey? In this special episode, which was recorded at our ISAF ANZA International Education Networking event in Perth, we asked one of the most cited researchers in artificial intelligence, Professor Seyed Ali Mirjalili from Torrance University and founding director of the Center for Artificial Intelligence Research and Optimization, to give us a brief and easy to comprehend update on the evolution of AI, followed by a panel discussion together with Pablo Pereira from student recruitment software provider Advisor, Jack Whaley from the AI-enabled marketplace Leverage EDU, and moderated by myself, Martijn van der Veen from ISEF. Before we start, allow me to highlight ISEF Digital in Berlin on November 3rd, a one-day conference focused entirely on digital and or AI-powered tools and solutions for international student recruitment professionals, with Professor Mir Jalili as one of our featured speakers. Visit ISEF.com digital for more information. Thanks, Martin, for, your, for the great introduction. Uh, my name is Ali. I think that's much easier to pronounce, but my full name is up there. Uh, and I'm the director of the, uh, the Center of Artificial Intelligence Research and Optimization from Torrance University, one of the, one of the best in the market. So, I, honestly, I, I, I travel the world um, quite often and attend technical conferences on technical AI. And when I was, when I was approached by Martin and his team, um, I said yes because I'm a big advocate for responsible and inclusive AI, and I believe that to harness, harness its power, we need everyone on board, not just researcher, a policymaker, um, 
professional bodies, um, industries, and even public. So this is an opportunity for me now also to first, as Martin said, define what AI is, uh, where we come from, what the landscape looks like at the moment, and where we are heading. And I'm going to finish by taking you through some of the pros and cons of this emerging technology. So with that being said, let's get started with a quick definition. Um, so AI refers to the development of computer systems that can perform tasks that would re typically require natural intelligence. Things like learning, problem solving, perception, reasoning, and decision making. And I didn't mention, I didn't say human intelligence, natural intelligence, right? Um, obviously, the first thing that comes in mind when you think about AI is to replicate how the brain, human brains work. Um, but in my own research, I look into swarms in nature, like how ants, for example, find the fastest and, and shortest path to a food source. So it's not just humans, it can be any natural intelligence. And AI has become very broad and these days it is definitely an interdisciplinary area. And the, the, the AI that you use every day um, as a part of your daily life, even though if you're not aware of it, are basically the algorithm that learn from the data, from your interaction, and try to customize and tailor product and services for you. And you might be thinking, all right, that's, uh, what, that's what you use every day. All the platforms that you use, social media, browsers, any apps on your phone use some sort of AI. And, but that was not the case in the past. So a lot of the traditional uh, systems, for example, an ATM, right, doesn't require AI. It's mostly based on logical programming, a certain outcome based on certain inputs and actions, right? So, but that wasn't the case. Um, in the past, most systems were not data-driven, very rule-based, but that's changed. Now we have more systems using AI than the ones that do not use AI. So now that we know about, a bit about the definition of AI and what's not AI, let's have a look at the history of major development in this uh, field. So um, this goes back, the birth of AI goes back to 1956, um, 1950s basically. And that was when the father of AI, Alan Turing, proposed the Turing test, which was surprisingly passed by platforms like ChatGPT. No one believed that a couple of years ago, but it's already passed. And that was the time that people started to do some logical, uh, mimic logical thinking and, and logical reasoning in computers. Uh, a couple of decades later, um, people began to th replicate how we think and how we process information in our brains. In other words, how biological neurons, you know, evolve and learn. And again, most of the time, in the first 30 years, the research in this space was mainly done and led by um, academics. But in the last 10 years, last decade, this has been the businesses and organizations that have taken the lead, right? Because they've seen the value. And most of the AI that you, you see these days are basically help with the data-driven decision-making. We've seen two winters in AI around 1960s and 1997. My prediction is that there's going to be a little bit of another, you know, winter at some stage once the hype is, is, is gone. But definitely, because we've seen value in this technology, it's going to be growing and growing. What about present? Obviously, the, there's a lot of uh, current trend in AI. I included the chat GPT at the end, and there's a good reason for that. But definitely, the machine learning, deep learnings are quite emerging. 
those are the engines behind most of the data-driven platform. Explainable AI, um, a lot of AI algorithms are black boxes, but if you want to use them for critical applications like medicine or legal application, you should be able to explain why a machine give you this, a certain recommendation. So if things go wrong, you can make people accountable. Not always a developer like us, but also other people who are involved in that process. Um, a lot of AI system used to be central, but now the idea is to make them distributed. So the customer and client and students in our case are the ones that own the algorithm and their data as well. And uh, quite recently, generative models like ChatGPT, we've seen this is the first time that we get a bit of taste of something called artificial general intelligence. We, we use things like face recognition, audio recognition, things like that. We are not surprised by those technologies, but ChatGPT and other generative platforms have shown that this technology, once you reach that sort of generality, can disrupt a lot of industry. And you can see the impact across different sectors, right? But why generative AI? It used to be data science. I think five years, six years ago was data science. Um, a lot of businesses now these days in marketing, we're talking to colleagues already, marketing, uh, they use machine learning, stuff like that. But now we've moved on to generative AI, which we believe as, as researcher would will disrupt, heavily disrupt the education field. This is going to be as big as the internet. Think about it that way. So what is generative AI? It's a branch of uh, it's a branch of artificial intelligence that focuses on the development of algorithms that can create content, content in the form of visuals, image, video, audio, voice, music, text, of course, ChatGPT, and the source code and computer code. So it's the first time that we see machines that can generate programs. So we are reaching a, a, the ultimate level of automation. We are not there yet. We are a couple of decades away from that, but it's the beginning. Think about it, a machine can, that can produce program or program itself. That's the snowball effect that uh, we've been waiting for um, as researchers. And, and now a question that you might be asking, why do we hear about AI these days more often? Um, look, the algorithm behind ChatGPT or DALI or, or uh, MidJourney, all the generative platform, have been there for decades, 40, 40 years ago. Um, things like artificial neural network, neural network were proposed. So why do we hear about them? It's because of the two ingredients. We haven't had enough data. Data is the fuel of those algorithms, right? AI algorithms. Without data, they go nowhere. They can't provide any recommendation. They can't provide any outcome, uh, output for us. So data, and we are really good at that, and um, the pace of, well, as humans, we generate, every year we generate a huge amount of data. And number two, this is the computational device or, or, or machines or computational, computational devices. Because of the cloud computing movement a, couple, a few years ago, businesses and governments heavily invested on that, in, that sort of infrastructure. So now that people in AI field are leveraging on that. So those two ingredients have led to development of these artificial general intelligence platform. And we're gonna see more and more of them uh, moving forward. So what is the impact uh, on education? I believe that, and we believe that uh, AI can hyper-personalize education for people. It can make it more accessible and obviously cheaper. It can create content on the fly. Think about it. So you can create content on the fly for a student. And so you can, you can 
make the learning journey as unique as students fingerprint for them. And we can do that. We don't need, we don't need hundreds of educators for that. We just need the right platform to learn and, and, do, and do that for us. We're going to have a lot of, obviously, assessment and evaluation designed, probably at the beginning in the format of formative assessment and then later on in a summative assessment. And this list goes on and on. I'm happy I think we're going to have a lot of opportunity to discuss these after in the panel discussion. So where we are heading, now we know where we've been, development of AI in the history and what's currently trend, what's, what's trending now, what the future looks like. So I believe that we're going to see a lot more development in the machine learning area. Again, the engine behind most of the AI platform these days. AI will be integrated to a lot of other technologies like quantum computers, Internet of Things, blockchains, and so on and so forth. AI will create new opportunities for businesses and organizations by improving their efficiency, accuracy, productivity, and, and decision-making. But obviously, it comes with, uh, and, and we need to be very proactive, and be, we need to be very mindful of the ethical um, and societal challenges ahead of us. Um, things like bias, discrimination, uh, disinformation, misinformation, and so on and so forth, right? Um, what are the pros and cons of AI? Again, I can talk about this for days. Th at the top of my list has been always increased efficiency, right? I always look at AI as the next level of automation. Um, so you can, you can leverage on it. For example, most of the uh, pictures on my slides are generated by AI. There is no artist. Um, some of the content even are generated by AI system. Does it mean that I have no idea what, the, what this is all about? Does it mean I don't have a background? No, I, I, I use, I leverage on these uh, technologies and we've been doing it for, for many years. Um, obviously it helps with uh, decision making, personalization of products and services across all industries, accessibility and inclusivity, innovation and new opportunities um, and so on and so forth. But, but obviously, just like any other emerging technologies, there is a lot of risks um, that we need to be mindful of and we need to mit mitigate. One thing that, is, that always comes in discussion is bias. As I said earlier, data is the fuel of AI systems. And that's a bottleneck and a weakness too, because if you feed biased data, the outcome is also biased. So very important. And that can lead to discrimination um, and all the issues uh, involved. Privacy, again, because of data, we also need to be mindful of privacy. Um, and think about it, AI can be also misused. Uh, people can use to manipulate, you know, uh, or, uh, other people. Uh, it can be used to develop lethal autonomous weapons and things like that, too. And obviously, um, other things I have on list, regulations. We definitely need regulation at the moment. Most of the ethical framework um, and regulations around AI are outdated. And that's the reason why there was an open letter two weeks ago signed by a lot of um, people, including Elon Musk, that, you know, development of AI should be paused. I, I don't believe we can pause it, but they made a good point that, you know, we are getting to the point that AI systems are improved by a, a factor of 100 to 1,000 every six months. So, and we don't want to reach the point that we can't control these kind of system. Um, so that's the end of my, my, my talk. Um, so that was the definition of AI, where we come from, what are the trending areas and where we are heading, and hopefully the pros and cons will instigate some interesting discussion for the panel session. Thanks everyone. 
Thank you very much, Ali. It's really, really helpful to walk us through the developments of, uh, of AI, the history of AI, how it's used. A lot of uh, information that is definitely very relatable to our industry. I just mentioned a few examples, right? The uh, increase in inefficiency, the increase in accuracy, the productivity, the decision-making process, the personalization. So it indeed sounds all extremely positive. And, um, and I think that is indeed good news, and I'm glad that you mentioned at the start that you enjoy being in an event like this one, because I would imagine, talking about bias, that artificial intelligence is processing our intelligence, our experience. So it's kind of a re reproduction of what we experience and what we see, and that is not always the objective truth, right? So there's definitely a, a challenge for us. So there is a societal impact the social bias, privacy issues that are definitely important for all of us to consider as we work with artificial intelligence. Now, my goal is always for this industry and the, the link between technology and international education is to not to tell people how does it all work, because you know, we, we won't understand it. We are not, not all as smart as uh, Professor Ali. Um, but it's not important for us how it works, it's important for us how it works for us. Right? What applications are out there? What innovations are out there? And how are they, can they be used for us? So that's indeed then the bridge to the panel with Pablo and, uh, and Jack. Um, you, by the way, mentioned that you leveraged uh, AI for your presentation. Um, Jack, you're from Leverage EDU. Nice little bridge there to you. Why don't you give us a little introduction of yourself? Uh, and after that, I'll come to you, Pablo. Thanks, thank you. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jack Whaley, uh, and I'm here today representing Leverage Edu. Um, we are a AI-powered student study abroad company, fits into the kind of ed tech sector. Um, we do all sorts of different elements of things. Part of that is we do recruit students like an education agent, um, but we also, as I said, we are a technology company, so we're producing software uh, for use uh, for, for, for universities and higher education institutions. But our sole aim is kind of to benefit students. That's what we're about. Good. AI powered. It's the same for advisor. All right. Uh, well, hello, everyone. I'm Pablo. I work for Advisor. We are a Canadian tech company that focused on international education, like from both parties, uh, providers like universities, language providers, any kind of providers from high school to secondary education to colleges, and also for agents. So we also have like. So, uh, lots of regions from more than 52 different countries. Thank you. Well, now that everyone is introduced, I think it's probably interesting to start. Uh, it might be interesting for Ali also to hear. Um, if you could give us, uh, Pablo and Jack, some, some examples of what that AI-powered uh, ingredient is in the services that you provide. What made you introduce these services and what's that AI element uh, in there, uh, Jack? Sure. So um, I guess the best place to start for me is to, to separate into two elements. So first of all, as I said, student, um, as that is what we're all here for. Um, and with students, we can use or we use AI as ourselves as our company, but I'm sure more more people will be using it in the future. Um, sort of two elements, really. One is um, as a kind of a a course finder, um, and lots, lots of companies have, have these kind of things. Um, but using AI there that we can gather, you know, we, we've uh, enrolled about 20,000 students over the last four or five years across the world. We have 10 million people on our platform per month. So you can imagine the kind of data that our systems, our platforms collect from that volume of people. And that means as a student that could be, they want to study in Canada, they want to study in Australia, they want to study in the UK, then it will go down and ask them questions like, 
what their budget is, their English level is, what their academic qualifications are. Um, and it asks various other questions and adapts constantly to what their answers are to answer, ask more questions. And then it compares all that data against all our other existing data to spit out suggestions that basically will say, hey, maybe you should go to these five, or look at these five universities as a choice. So I guess what that's doing is it's, it's helping the student from the beginning, and it's not an agent-biased view, maybe, on saying, oh, well, I work with these five universities, so these are the five universities you should consider. We're putting the student in the centre and saying, well, we don't work with all of these universities, but actually these are the five that best fit your profile, according to our data. So, so that's the, kind of the first point on it with, with the students. And then also, second to that, it's also about suggesting that, you know, when I was a student and I was looking, I studied environmental science, as you can see, I've got a clear career path. But what I would have been able to use this, this system for was to be able to type, hey, I'm interested in environmental science, and rather than it just say, well, here's five universities that do a master's in environmental science, it might also say, well, have you thought about conservation? Have you thought about studying environmental politics? So it will suggest other options that are related rather than just forcing a student down to study something that they've got in their mind that they thought about. You have a point there, I'm sure Ali will agree, that we as human beings have our limitations. Trust me, we all do. And um, that means that when you want to provide advice about something, you base that on your knowledge. Now, AI can, of course, process so much more knowledge and share so much more knowledge and take in so much more knowledge. And that brings us to the efficiency and the personalization, I imagine. But before we go there, um, Pablo, can you also give us some examples of how you apply AI in yeah. the student recruitment process? Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, in advisor, we apply AI pretty much separating two fronts, the front end and the back, and the, and the back end. The front end is like is the user experience itself. Uh, on the back end, it's just like for developers. So developers, they use AI, of course, to support how to maintain those codes and how to get like a better uh, and an easier way to launch a new feature or something related to the front end. That's when we got to the user experience. So uh, we use that to support like a lot of different automations because we don't work B2B, but our clients do. So our agents, they work B2B, so we provide different ones, for example, live chats and everything also related to our GP, GDS because we collect all the data from institutions and at the same time, we're talking about thousands of institutions with different data, so to make a compilation of it, also you need to resume, you need to present not only for the agent, but also for the student. So AI really helps to shrink all that information and make it easier, especially for agents who need to focus on the sale itself, or of course, to develop a better relationship with the student instead of you know, keep doing those small tasks. So I would say that is pretty much for automations in both, both sides, and especially on our B2C side. When you listen to these examples, uh, Ali, is this comparable to how it is applied in other industries as well? Well, absolutely. As I said, I think we hear a bit of themes here from Jack and Paolo. One of them is obviously a huge amount of data that we, they have, right? A lot of statistical model struggle when it comes to large or big data sets, right? That's exactly why we bring machine learning and AI algorithm to process. And so we hear about matchmaking. So you've got customer profile, product profile or course or service, whatever, and you, you make that match. Obviously, 
this is where things get a little bit tricky because the goal can be to maximize revenue or maximize student experience or customer or student satisfaction. Um, and, and I'm very happy to hear talking to people that it's always the customer experience or student experience, right? So yeah, absolutely. So data-driven decision making and uh, automation. We hear that I think most of the time it's a service. It should be 24-7, ideally. At the moment, a lot of chatbots are quite robotics, you know, and you can get that feeling. And I don't, I'm not surprised because most AI technologies, AI platform and algorithms these days lack human cognitive abilities such as uh, common sense, out-of-the-box thinking, empathy. So those are the, but we will get that at some stage. There is no doubt for us. But at the moment, we believe that there should be human in the loop when we get there, right, at some stage. There's some very interesting points you're making there, right? Common sense, empathy. Because I guess that among all of us here, sometimes there is this excitement and hope of everything that AI can do for us, make our lives easier. And sometimes there's this fear of what's AI going to mean for me and my job and, um, you know, is it going to eliminate the human element? And I would like to say that if you think of a... Um, that's a very, very smart person, right? We all know, I don't know, that kid that went to uni and graduated at 12 years, and that is all great, and we all think that person will have a really great future, but if that person lacks the same things, the EQ, right, emotional coefficient, uh, empathy, things like that, then that person will probably be less successful in life than someone that has these traits combined, right? So I would imagine that the human element is always extremely important. We want to deal with human beings, especially with natural human beings. And I don't see AI having that human element unless is there something like emotional intelligence brewing somewhere, Ali, that we need to be ready for. Well, as I said, at the moment, there is definitely research going on in this space. But at the moment, I think, Something like ChatGPT shows us a bit of taste of that artificial general intelligence, as I said, but we are on that direction. We'll get to the point that we call them singularity, in which machines will reach our capability, cognitive capability. But that's three, four decades away to, from my point of view, my perspective. But at the moment, obviously, in terms of automation, yes. And we're getting some movement around that. You can kind of get that sort of so machine understand that, let's say, you're upset. We call them sentiment and analysis, right? You can copy and paste a text in ChatGPT, for example, or similar platform and say, what's the tone of this text, right? Or reply in, an, in, in a formal way, aggressive way, you know? Like, you can do that, but it's far from how we, you know, personalize an experience for students. Yeah, so I guess there's interpretation of emotion yeah. and there's producing emotion or actually feeling it. Um, I guess a question for you both here is to, is your goal to use AI to allow the human element to be stronger for where the human element is necessary, Pablo? Well, I think yes is one of our objectives, you know, but especially to support agents to, to have like a better time management. Because I don't think you know, the AI will take like all the jobs or anything like that, uh, but the jobs will turn to something different. Like, of course, uh, every time there is some like some new movement in technology, for example, our live chats like WhatsApp or whatever, 
it made it easier to talk to students. But of course, we had to change all the way we operate with students itself, you know, with prospects. So I reckon that is pretty, it's pretty like flexible because of course AI is there, we cannot avoid it, uh, but we can use it at our own benefit. So of course, in advisory, the plan is to support uh, to all the agents to, and especially in school, of course, schools, of course, to have a better, uh, better tools. So then, like they can focus on sales conversion or you know making their life easier enough to at least thinking about like a free time for themselves. That is also important, not only for business. You know, how would you respond to that, Jack? Yeah, pretty much the same. I, I guess one thing I would say is that for leverage as a an AI-powered or driven company that we're around. We've just turned six years old. When I joined 16 months ago, there were 400 employees uh, in that 16 month. We now have over 1,000 employees. By the end of this year, we'll have 2,000 employees. So for an AI-powered, driven company that is ultimately using AI to speed up the process, make it more efficient, we don't remove the humans. We're actually growing our human population uh, staff as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's a, a case of, I'm not the expert, but I don't think it's a case of that we should be scared of it, uh, that it replaces our jobs. I think we should look at it as a, as a helping hand to make us more efficient, to actually grow and do better. You know, that's one of the things that we're, we're doing. Very interesting. It's, it's good to hear that an AI, can I call you an AI-focused company? Yeah, uh, okay is actually growing in terms of, of staff. Is that the same for advisor? Pretty much. Yeah, same there. We all use AI on a daily basis, aren't we? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As I said, any, I can't think of any app on your phone without AI. Because the ultimate goal is to provide a better experience, right? And you provide the data, you interact with it every day, and it keeps getting better and better. Think about YouTube. You get... The, the algorithm feeds you with what you want. Something you just refresh and say, "Give me more of what I like." You know, absolutely. I think even I mean, most people are not aware of that, but definitely they use on the, they use AI algorithm on day and daily basis. I think it's good to realize that AI is going to help us be even better at what we are doing, and that the agencies are playing an extremely important role in that human interaction, right? Personal advice and uh, caring for for the student, and that's the way I think we should address this as an industry. Now, if there's anything, Ali, to be concerned about from our industry's angle, what would that be, if there's anything? I would say, at the top of my list will be misinformation, um, because especially with the development of generative AI, if you think about the size of internet, 100 zettabyte, this has taken us I don't know how many years, a few decades to get there. It can take a machine or a group of machine or several farms probably a year to get to that, that point. Um, so I think, and that's, that was the letter, one of the uh, discussions on that letter, one of the points in that letter that it's getting to the point that it's hard to realize what's real, what's not real. I think you've noticed in some of my figures, it's really hard, right? I can ask the machine to make it uh, high, uh, super re realistic and hyper-realistic with full details. So I think that, that's, that's the challenge, um, I think because AI can be misused too. So there's gonna be so much out there. There are discussions, or there are debates that people, uh, there should be, you know, 
um, there should be regulation to use watermarks on things like, you know, generated by the machine. That's an ongoing discussion, and that's what I said earlier, that we, I believe we should be very proactive when it comes to AI ethics and regulation, um, because, because, you know, a lot of people can misuse it, and it can be quite late when we uh, realize. So, yeah. Um, definitely this is misinformation or disinformation uh, is, is my main concern. Mind me, there are research, um, uh, also there are research groups across the globe that use AI to detect misinformation too. It's kind of virus and antivirus. So you can train an AI algorithm to realize whether something is fake or not. So it's a bit of, yeah, rivalry here in this space, I believe, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And use AI to find bias. Would that be possible? Bias, you mean? Yeah, well, to identify bias, but who then decides what is the bias, right? Well, yeah. Um, as I said, you can these algorithms, whatever you train them, they will learn. It can be fake or um, authentic news, let's say. It can be, as I said, bias and unbiased uh, data. So. <laughs> It's just the question that you ask and the data that you provide, uh, they can learn. So what I was trying to say is that it's a concern, but also there are a big movement to minimize that risk. Um, yeah. yeah. So Pablo and Jack, you're pioneers in the application of AI in the uh, student recruitment process. Uh, must be really exciting to you know, discover new opportunities where you can apply AI to see how, much fa how fast developments are going. What kind of issues, if you're willing to share those with us, uh, have you encountered and how have you handled them? Pablo. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, in advisor, like sometimes we, we can find some, I would say, issues because we are, we are also applying for all the school data that we have. So every time a provider have a price list, also like a brochure, all that information, uh, well, we, well, we suppose that should be all complete. So if we keep like some standard questions and trying to get some standard information from all the providers, all the products at once, sometimes it's a little, a little difficult, you know, because the, the language itself or sometimes some information are missing. So I think that's why it's really important to like companies also to understand uh, which information should be collected, what information should be also shared with students. Because as soon as we have that, of course, we can talk to the schools, get the, all the information that we need, and then have like all the summary and all the content that we need to share with the agents, to the students, and so on. I guess that touches also indeed on, on Ali's point, right? AI makes decisions on the data that we feed into it. So it's very important at the, at the entrance to make sure that the data that you're feeding it is the correct data, because otherwise the outcome in terms of advice or screening or, or admissions processes and decisions is biased. Uh, so there's an example in our industry, which is the same as the example for the AI in general indeed, right? To uh, make sure that the data is uh, clean. How do you make sure that the data is clean? And, and by all means, share some of your concerns. Yeah, yeah I, I think much the same as uh, what Pablo was just saying there, but it is the same. That the AI system is only as good as the data that it collects or the data that we give it. I can say this because I worked for universities before, but universities aren't always the best at giving uh, clean 
data because there's so many different elements and you know this course most courses might require an IELTS of six but there's one course in a faculty somewhere that requires 6.5 and that's kind of been missed and, and therefore you end up in the same situation we, we've for example we've built AI uh, we call them lanes but think of it as a traffic light system um, that the, the AI can scan as our internal system software it will scan an application and it will say oh yeah this student has got all the requirements to get an offer from this university. That's a simple way of putting it. And then, yeah, that's led to us having a really good, you know, application to offer ratio. It's over 90%. Um, but why is it 100% if you're using AI? Well, it's for that exact reason I've just said that, you know, one tiny element that wasn't picked up in the initial kind of back end of, of adding that data in has ended up with that kind of one student sort of being skipped or missed. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say that uh, that's the most labor-intensive part of data science projects, right? We call them data cleaning, data wrangling. We spend 80% of the time on that, on that part to make sure data is clean, it's standardized, because if you don't do that, then, you know, the machine will give you wrong prediction or inaccurate prediction or recommendation. So, but the good news for both of you, I think, is that there is a bit of automation because we believe that that's the bottleneck now. We want to shift it. So instead of spending 80% on data, 20% on the algorithm, we spend 20% on data and 80% on the algorithm, right? So yeah, but that's, that's, the, that's the issue at the moment. But the other thing is that I wanted to mention is that we reached a point that, um, I mean, I'm talking about now platform like ChatGPT and general intelligence uh, or generative AI. We reached a point that there is not enough data for those algorithms, right? So people tend to create synthetic data. Because, you know, if, if you have a, a, a big car that, that can go, you know, as fast as you want, the limitation is the fuel, right? So the only way is to find a way to refuel it, whether biological fuel, synthetic fuel, doesn't matter. That's exactly, we reached the point that, you know, we are running out of the data, uh, surprisingly. It's the first time that happened in the history. That sounds surprising, indeed, running, running out of data, because before you were mentioning how uh, AI can treat and I, I would guess produce so much data, but for the AI to learn from us, we need to, we, so we're, we're, AI is trying to catch up with us, and so, now we need to catch up with yeah. AI, is that so, it? So, so, so we provide it, so basically we use um, our data, human generated data, to build these systems, right? So they reach to a certain maturity now that our data is not enough for them. Or there are gaps, for example, right? Let's say I don't have enough content around this political discussion, let's say, for ChatGPT. So the idea is to now use AI to generate, to learn those debates and try to, you know, find the gaps and generate that data that can be fed into the machine itself, the machine again. So it's like a virtuous cycle. Uh, and that's why, so the, the problem of bias is getting even worse now. Because, you know, it's like a virtuous cycle, so it, 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 it amplifies in that iteration. Yeah. Right, very interesting. What I think is very important always for, for us at ISEF is to, about any new technology, is, as I mentioned earlier, right, it's not so much uh, how it works, but how it works for you. But also we can understand, and the same happened to us, that when you're faced with these hugely impressive new innovations, at first it comes across very overwhelming or sometimes even frightening, right? And we really want to take away the, this fear of the unknown and continue with this type of conversation and discussion to see not so much like, oh, what's going to happen and how, how, which risks are there? No, how can we use it and how can we embrace it? Um, 
so I'd like to use the, the final 10 minutes of this, uh, of this conversation for some Q&A with the audience. By the way, I have enough questions remaining, but I was wondering, you know, in our audience, what is our experience with AI? What are our fears? Do you have any questions now that we have a, a proper AI professor, professor sitting on the stage? Any questions about AI in international education? There's a question on the left. Hi, thank you so much, um, everyone, for your presentations and my, your different talks. Um, I do have a question, and it's more, um, what can we do as civilians and as organizations to counterbalance the risk, but also the opportunities? Um, and so there's two parts to that question, is civilians and organizations, and obviously within international education. Uh, I think that's it. That's a tricky part of this, isn't it? And there is a trade-off now. And, and when I heard about that open letter that they want to pause six, uh, development of AI for six months, it's like a joke, right? Uh, you can't pause this for sure, um, but you need to be very proactive. So for me, I want everyone um, to be, first of all, mindful of the long-term implication of AI. Um, and actively working together to minimize the risks. And what we need, we urgently need um, ethical frameworks because most of the ethical frame, uh, AI ethics frameworks are outdated. Like for the technology that is improved the, with the order of magnitude of 100 to 1,000 every six months, we are still having ethical framework that goes back to 2019 in Australia, for example. So definitely we need to uh, actively work on that space and that needs probably everyone, right? Policymaker, government, industry, researcher. Um, so to me, that's the urgency, right? Because of the improvement on those technologies, we don't want to reach to that uh, stage without a proper uh, regulation because, you know, people can misuse it. It reminded me of early days of internet, right? was not much regulation around scams and spam and, you know, death threats by emails, you know what I mean? So, but we evolved and uh, we actively work together. Now we have proper regulation around it. So I believe that's, that should be prioritized for all of us. We evolve indeed, but do we evolve fast enough to keep track of the, uh, is that not why they, these, this open letter was about pausing that development, although it might be impossible, but that's probably something for us to find out, right? Are we fast enough. Any more questions from the audience here, gentlemen in the middle? Uh, my name is Bruno. I work for Education Way. Uh, my question is very simple. One of the outcomes for AI is improve efficiency. My question is, do you guys understand that AI is going to jeopardize the relationship between the agencies with the universities? Because actually the agencies it's a kind of a middleman, and uh, moving forward in the future, is that something that you guys see happening? Ibrana, uh, hey so like I, f I believe that the the point that we're, like the problem that we're trying to solve in this market is the excess of information related to portfolios. Like it is really stressful when you have to, when you need certain information to answer some student and you don't have it you know, in front hand. So the point like, how did the, the, the solution, at least that applied to my company that we're trying to solve, is 
make it easier the management part of your portfolio. Of course, making it easier for you to understand and how to uh, have easily the information you need to. You know, in terms of like the relationship, I would say this is pretty much related to the the business development area for institutions. I don't believe in our market an institution can be a hundred percent online and trying to just solve all their I don't know all their issues and even do a promotion to agents just by providing them data. You know, even like if this data is pretty good, that's why we're here, right? Because we know that like ISEF, like events like this one. Uh, and the face-to-face -face is really important to develop like a better relationship. I believe that uh, every time we, uh, every time an agent is talking to a school, they talk about like commission prices, materials, everything. But what if we don't need to? You don't need to talk to them about prices. You don't need to talk. They don't need to explain in minutes about a price list or a certain special. So that's the problem we are trying to solve. Uh, but of course. To keep developing developing the business, uh, I don't believe like the all the institutions or anything without a closer relationship will be eliminated. At least not from our market. Yeah, I think I agree. Right, the um, the agreement in the panel here and in the room is also that the human interaction is priceless, invaluable. The middleman model you mentioned that is something that in my view, at least for decades to come, AI cannot replicate that person that is, has empathy, has understanding, that is now able to spend more time consulting the prospective student thanks to AI rather than being threatened by it. So I guess the, uh, looking at the time also, the concluding message would very much be let AI work for you, not against you. And I applaud you all for being in this session, for being so open to understanding better what, what it really is, how it works for you, because it has a lot of uh, positive sides for us, but I would also agree we need to use it responsibly. And my last question actually for, for Ali would be, you know, AI is nothing new. You mentioned this since the 1950s. It is something that the scientists are working on. And uh, although there were about two winter times, I believe that there wasn't much development, now we see with enough data, Boom, there was DALI, and boom, there was ChatGPT. And I believe most of us were quite surprised by this sudden evolution, sudden step. What will surprise us next? Uh, that's a, a bit difficult question, but I would say the next phase will be, uh, we've, because we've, uh, the, the development is one side, the next step is the adoption. So I believe that we've progressed so much in the last two or three years, it's time to focus and work on the adoption and, and you know, ethical adoption and wide adoption. Because Microsoft, for example, is going to integrate ChatGPT and GPT Engine to all the product and services, right? So the next step for me is for, for us to educate people how to use this technology, work on the adoption, and make sure that everybody can use it inclusively, right? So... What I want to see, I'm a bit a big advocate for AI, but not every AI, inclusive and responsible AI, right? To me, inclusivity is quite important. So when we are moving into that direction, obviously, I would say, in short, adoption and inclusivity are the two things that uh, we're going to see and hear a lot more moving forward. Great. Well, that makes the circle around because the acronym for adoption and inclusivity is... AI. Yep, absolutely. <laughs>
Well, um, thank you very much for this very insightful uh, conversation and panel. Thank you to our panelists. Thank you, Ali, for explaining AI to us. And thank you all for your time. And see you at the uh, welcome reception uh, this evening. Thank you very much. This concludes this special episode where we discussed AI and its impact on international student recruitment. To find out more about AI and digital technologies that are directly and indirectly relevant to our sector, we encourage you to join us on November 3rd at ICEF Digital in Berlin. This one-day networking conference aims to inform and update international education professionals on the latest technologies and digital tools that are available to them and features a series of interactive thought leadership sessions, presentations, case studies and panel discussions digital service providers will be exhibiting to introduce and demo their latest products and solutions. To find out more and to obtain your tickets, please visit icef.com forward slash digital. This special episode was brought to you in partnership with Torrens University Australia, Australia's international university built on the shoulders of giants.